The world's longest-running comedy music concert series is back. Hello, MarsCon people! Those were enthusiastic woos. MarsCon 2023 is taking place March 10th through 12th at the Hilton Minneapolis St. Paul Mall of America Hotel in Bloomington, Minnesota. Coming up here, I was gathering up all my supplies, you know, Fuji's, Golden Deliciouses, Red Deliciouses, Granny Smith's, but I was able to make it to Minnesota after compiling my Minneapolis list. This year's event will have performances by Robbie Ellis, Klingon Pop Warrior, Nuclear Bubble Wrap, The Odd Ditties, Holy Bongwater, Regdar and the Fighters, The Great Luke Ski, TV's Kyle and Linzilla, Insane Ian, Steve Goody, Il Nay, Yao Meme, and this year's music guest of honor, Bonnie Gordon. I'm working on six projects, cause I can't focus on one, everything all at once, that never gets done, some say it's a problem, something wrong with my brain, Registration for a weekend badge is $70. To pre-register and for more info on MarsCon, visit MarsCon.org. I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. All right. Uh, before we get going with this episode, uh, we are going to be talking about an R-rated movie. We are going to be having an R-rated conversation. We have been made aware that there are some of our listeners that like to listen to this podcast with their little ones. If you are one of those people, I'm sorry. Come back next week. We will be doing something family-friendly next week. But uh, this episode is just for the adults, kids. Sorry, we'll miss you. We'll see you next week. Okay. 40 years after the original film came out, we are finally getting History of the World Part 2. And it's going to be a four-hour miniseries. I don't know if we need a four-hour miniseries of History of the World Part 2. Did we honestly need a History of the World Part 1 movie, though? I mean, do we really need anything? I mean, Come on, really- it's funsies. <laughs> Yeah, it's true, but I've seen so many people complain, oh, they're just ripping off drunk history. It's like, no, learn your history. Drunk history drunk would not... Drunk history ripped this off. <laughs> exactly. So, in honor of the the sequel, in honor of History of the World Part 2 coming out, pretty much as this podcast is being released, we have gone back to the original film, Mel Brooks's History of the World Part 1, yeah, Disney owns this movie now because this is a 20th Century Fox film and Disney owns that. Yeah, it is so weird to think that Disney now owns the rights to most of the Mel Brooks catalog. For... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not just the comedies. We've talked about this before. Mel Brooks was a producer on other films. We've talked about The Fly, how he was a producer on that movie. Yeah. And one of the weird things is, is that we were, we were discussing uh, off mic that uh, one of our cameos in here is from John Hurt, who is only in this movie because he had 
just finished filming The Elephant Man, which was also produced by Mel Brooks. <laughs> and he was like, you know, I've just done a lot of really uh, depressing, sad movies. I'd love to do a comedy for once. And Mel Brooks was like, well, you know, I got a comedy I'm, I'm about to do. You want to have a part in it? And so John Hurt is Jesus in this and I love that Last Supper scene is that, you know, like, Jesus, what? What? Yes. What? <laughs> yeah. And uh, John Hurt had so much fun on it. He was like, hey, if you ever want me in, in another uh, part. And so when Mel Brooks did Spaceballs, of course, there's that uh, famous nod to John Hurt's bit in Alien, which we've also talked about. <laughs> yeah. Before on the show. So yeah, we so we have a we have a doctor. We just talked about Doctor Who last week. We have another doctor in this movie. Yeah, because John Hurt is the War Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, we may or may not get around to talking about the War Doctor on the show eventually. Uh, we're going through all sixty years. We'll get to it at yeah. some point. So yeah, History of the World Part One was. Not just a parody of history, but a parody of history movies. Because, like, this was just the style at the time to steal a Simpsons bit. Like, you had movies like The Greatest Story Ever Told, which not necessarily a full narrative. The movie was not just one narrative, but parts of a bigger whole. You know, here's a segment about this part of history. Here's a segment about this part of the Bible and so on and so forth. As Mel Brooks does, he makes fun of it. <laughs> I mean, he does even make, you know, he makes fun of religion in this movie. He makes fun of race. He, the opening scene is a parody of the opening scene of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Only instead yeah. of a large black uh, monolith, it's man discovering, yes, this is the R-rated portion of the program, masturbation. Well... It is Homo erectus. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, you got to go for the the obvious joke there. Go for the low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah. The funniest thing about this to me is that I, I don't know if it still says it on the, the, the website. I, I they probably have taken it down by now, but when Rotten Tomatoes kind of put the aggregate for this up on their site. It said something about the movie wasn't good enough to have ever warranted a sequel, but it's it's a cute enough movie that most people like it well enough or something. So I, I wonder if, if they've changed that now. Honestly, I don't spend enough time on the site to who knows? Gone and checked. I mean, teasing a sequel kind of became a running gag in Mel Brooks's films. Like, you know, Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money, or the ending song in Men in Tights teasing a Robin Hood 2. So it's like, you well, know. By the time this movie was made, because this movie was made in 1981. Oh, yeah, we're about as old as this movie. Yeah, and and by the t time this movie was made, the idea of 
you know, we're going to make this into a franchise was already a well-known thing. I mean, at the end of every James Bond movie, you would get James Bond will return in next movie title in two years. Yeah. Um, and people thought the MCU started that thing. Oh, goodness, no. I mean, even even James Bond didn't start it. Even the 80s didn't start it. I mean, the, the first movie franchise was before they even invented talking pictures. So, you know, please, please do not think we have reinvented the wheel anytime lately, you know? Um, but the thing about it is that he was just parodying what was in the the modern, you know. Late 70s, early 80s zeitgeist. Yeah. I mean, this film came out the exact same weekend as Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. I mean, literally the same day. <laughs> so, um, you want to talk about you know, movie franchises and stuff. I mean, this this was the exact same day that Raiders of the Lost Ark and Clash of the Titans and one of the Cheech and Chong movies came out. I mean, now Indiana Jones is owned by Disney. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's a coin toss whether or not Cheech and Chong is owned by Disney at this point. <laughs> I haven't bothered to look it up, but it's a 50-50 shot right now. <laughs> the thing is, though, is that it was just him riffing on what everybody else was doing, because that's what Mel Brooks kind of does best. His riff on... Uh, Hollywood musical. Here's his riff on the western. Here's his riff on horror movies. Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah, the horror movies. And here's his riff on, you know. The silent um, movie. <laughs> yeah. And the, the Star Wars movies and the, you know. So he's he's either doing on remakes or just pastiches for for a lot of his stuff. And, you know, his whole thing was that history isn't what we know it to be. You know, like, even now there is the sanitized version of history that people are taught, and you know, why not make fun of the, the sanitation of history? And that's kind of where we go in this in, in, in this uh, in this movie. Like, there's a lot that's not historically accurate, but it's not historically accurate in the name of comedy. Yeah. Such as, you know, the first comedian getting eaten by a dinosaur. I mean, prove to me that didn't happen other than the fact that humans and dinosaurs weren't really <laughs> living together. <laughs> I mean, that... that, that... But, but prove to me that the first comedian didn't get eaten by some predator. <laughs> And they find that to be the funny thing ever. That would be hilarious. Sid Caesar here as the caveman. He does so much with no dialogue. It's like, a it's a great bit. 
Like, he's the first artist, and you have Orson Welles, who was our narrator for this movie, as the first critic, giving his uh, yellow journalism on the art. Oh, man, there is a great behind-the-scenes story, apparently, about Orson Welles. And, like, I don't know exactly how true this is, but it's a story that I've always kind of heard about the making of this. Mel Brooks was going to pay him I think it was like $5,000 or something. So he paid him for several days up front because he figured I'm going to need him for several days. And so he just paid him up front thinking I will need him for a minimum of this many days. And Orson Welles came in and absolutely nailed it on day one. And Mel Brooks was like, crap, I could have just paid you (laughs) (laughs) $5,000. And Orson Welles was like, well, you're the fool because you paid me up front and I'm not giving the money back. (laughs) And Mel Brooks was like, well, what are you going to do with it? And Orson Welles was like, I don't know, cigars and caviar probably. And Mel Brooks is like, yeah, that's fair. And peas. <laughs> Frozen peas. <laughs> Gotta Full get that joke. Country coming. goodness and green penis. Yes. <laughs> oh. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, like that whole like I said, like I said, the whole Stone Age segment is amazing, especially, you know, the invention of the first weapon and the invention of music. <laughs> oh. Which is is so funny because it's basically just Mar- Marvin Scruggs from the Muppets. Yeah, the Muppaphone. Um, yeah, it's the Muppaphone, but it's just it's Mel Brooks doing it with humans rather than adorable little fuzzy Muppets and beating someone <laughs> and beating Orson Welles in the stomach with a rock. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. It's so bizarre. Um, It's so weird, though, how many kind of reused jokes there are in here. They use the the walk walk this way. Yeah, they use it twice. Yeah. Like, first they do it in the the Roman Empire skit, and then they do it again in the uh, Spanish Inquisition skit. And I think, I mean, that seems to be a, a gag that's in, like, every Mel Brooks movie. Because we, yeah. we, it was in Young Frankenstein when we talked about that. Yeah. So like, I, and, a, I, and I mean, I'm not saying like Mel Brooks invented that either. Like that's that's no. an old vaudeville bit, but like it's just so weird that he's just so wedded to that joke. Um. Yeah, but um. <laughs> and the, then of course th- this this one has the it's good to be the king joke over and over again and then he uses that one again in, in Robin, Robin Hood Ben and Tights. Yeah. yeah. Um the I realize this is the early nineteen eighties, but um mm. the F slur? Yeah, I was gonna say just you know the gay humor in general. I get that this was the language of the era. And that was what was considered 
uh, suitable. You know, the 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 what's so funny is like so much of the the gay jokes are like very campy and very over the top, and that you can forgive. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like so much is just like homophobic slur after homophobic slur and you're like ooh okay but fortunately you know if you followed Melbourne's career you know that he has evolved as a writer that that's not him anymore yeah like you you know that like just 10 years later that that was not in his work anymore you know i mean um, around around the same time he would do would you know he did blazing saddles and there was that whole scene with dom delawise's director and watch me Fler and you know yeah yeah but the gay jokes here are, are you're right they're they're played up you know like the first homosexual uh, the first heterosexual marriage followed quickly by the first homosexual marriage well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and the thing is, is that's still a, a, a solid joke. I, I would, I would argue that saying the first homo sapien marriage followed by the first homosexual marriage is still a funny play on words. It was, I mean, it just, you know, the it's, guy just, and it, I mean, it's the and there's nothing joke. really offensive in that joke. It's just seeing like, a man and a woman in that traditional caveman, like, you know, me hit you over head with club. And then it's just two men doing the same thing is not to me a a terribly offensive joke. And I, I don't think that most people in the LGBT community would find that particular joke very offensive. Here's the thing. um, Even today. Here's the thing. I first saw this movie on Comedy Central, and a lot of the gay jokes got cut for the for the t- for the television version. I would not see the unedited version until years later. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, I-, I think I first saw this this film edited as well, and then because I could tell that there was so much edited, I went to a video store and I was like, I want to see, I want to see the rest of this film. Um, but yeah, like, but then there, there are some, there are just some jokes in this film that you're, you're like, yeah, they would, they, Mel Brooks as a writer would not have written that joke five years later or 10 years later. Like, that just wouldn't be who he was as a writer. You know? Yeah. Um, Which I think is... Is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that you can go like, oh, that's that's great. And it goes back to the, like, all those people who go like, oh, they wouldn't make, they wouldn't make Blazing Saddles now. Yeah, no, because... That's how humor works. I mean, when they say that, they're talking about the N-word being used. And as this is my personal thing, they don't realize that they're the ones being made fun of in Blazing Saddles. 
Yeah, all the all the people who who say like you couldn't make Blazing Saddles now, you are the target of Blazing Saddles. And you are, yeah, you are who this movie's making fun of, and you don't even realize that you're being made fun of. Yeah, because and you're, the reason that they wouldn't make Blazing Saddles now is because they'd make a different and equally hilarious movie. I mean, Django Unchained. I'll say that, but but then again, that movie's almost twenty years old. Yeah. I mean, I have I have watched movies recently that are absolutely hilarious that deal with racial sensitivity and stuff that are fine and I have thought that's absolutely hilarious and that's very edgy comedy. But in five years, would they make the same movie? Probably not, because it's going to be a different climate then. I mean, I guess the best way to say for modern Blazing Saddles would be like, sorry to bother you. Well, yeah, and and all and that is also dealing with class distinctions and stuff, which, you know, Blazing Saddles does deal with a little bit and everything. But Sorry to bother you is friggin' hilarious, mm-hmm. and I love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you're just not watching it because it's not people sitting around screaming the n word for shock value, or far and that's beans. what you want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, like, yeah. But to get back to this movie, my favorite scene in this movie, I'll say it right now, my favorite scene in the movie is the Old Testament scene. You have Mel Brooks as Moses and Mel Brooks as God doing that whole... No, it's not. It's Carl Reiner as God. It is? I thought that was... uh, It always sounded like Mel Brooks to me. It does sound like Mel Brooks, but it's actually Carl Reiner. Yeah, he... he, it's, uh, It's an uncredited cameo, yeah. So, yeah, that whole thing is like, Moses, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, but dead man can hear you. What? Never mind. (laughs) And, you know, to this day, the whole, I have brought down these 15, oi, 10, 10 commandments. I mean, it's gotten to the point where people actually believe that there were 15 commandments. That's how good this joke was, that people actually thought this was legit. The the funniest thing to me, just because my linguistics background and stuff, is that they actually went to the trouble to write the commandments in Hebrew on the tablets. Hmm. And the third tablet actually had more commandments on it. <laughs> and if you translate them... Um, they they read like um don't laugh and i think one of them is something like don't don't impregnate or something <laughs> <laughs> but i forget what all of them say but um but the funniest one is don't break <laughs> <laughs> and he breaks it <laughs> you can see if you if you know what it says you can read it and it says don't don't break <laughs> Um, but, uh, just before he drops it, 
Um, but that was probably the first joke I ever heard from the movie. Be- before I ever heard the movie, that was a joke that somehow made it into... I mean, we've talked before about like my my sheltered kind of upbringing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you were some... you grew up you grew up in a very religious household, so the joke of Moses having fifteen commandments and dropped five. Yeah, somehow that kind of weirdly sacrilegious joke somehow made it to me before I ever saw the movie. Is that there was a movie out there that had Moses being given fifteen commandments and, and dropping five of them. I mean, again, that 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 joke, that segment has transcended the movie. Like to this day, there are people who don't know that that's from this movie. Even though you clearly see Mel Brooks here as Moses. And of course, he comes back later in the film. He does the arm raise for the for the river to split, which it looks like they filmed it at the Universal tram ride track. Yeah, though it really was filmed at Universal. I mean, yeah, I mean that's the tram ride track. You yeah, that. it really, yeah, it really was. They, 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 they just filmed it there, but it, and they really did film Caesar's Palace at Caesar's Palace. <laughs> um, so that when he when he goes does his entry into Caesar's Palace and everything, they really did just film outside Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas for a day. When you die at the palace, you die at the palace. I love that yeah. line. <laughs> oh, Such a good God. Line. there's so many good one-liners in this movie. It's like I almost want to just say stop our podcast and just watch the original movie if you can. But like, he, yeah, it, it's really it's really hard to talk about this movie because it's there's not a lot of plot because it's just sketches, you know. There's the two long sketches. There's the uh, Roman Empire sketch and there's the French Revolution sketch. Yeah. Which Um, really feels like that was the original plan for the movie because both of them take up the bulk of the movie. They're about half an hour each and then the rest of the final half hour are just the the, the little short segments throughout the film, including the fake trailer at the end. Yeah. And I think if this had been made in a different environment you know a different media environment this would have been like more of a TV show that's probably why they're doing the sequel in a miniseries format yeah and, and I think I think that's the better thing for it I mean we'll we'll see you know I, I may eat those yet, words so we haven't seen it yeah. yet Man, next yeah, it's gonna... it's not out. It's not out yet at at our time of recording. But that's gonna be um, that's gonna be a hard week because you got Mandalorian and you got History of the World Part Two. Yeah, uh, not gonna have any time. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be so busy. <laughs> um, it's gonna be a big week for Pedro Pascal because you're gonna have the ending of The Last of Us and the, the premiere of. Yeah, there's gonna be no Pedro Pascal gap <laughs> in your viewing. <laughs> Go from one show right into another. Um, I I think that what 
may fail in this movie is the fact that it was a movie. So if the miniseries succeeds, I think it's going to succeed because it's a miniseries. Mm. I, I don't know. But I do have a, a slight bit of hope. I mean, maybe that, that's why drunk that the history, format might help. Maybe that's why Drunk History did so well, because it's just history of the world as a series rather than as a movie. Yeah, and you can do either a bunch of short skits. I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it, because we don't really know a lot about the series. But you can either do a bunch of short skits, like SNL style, or you can do like 30 minutes of one long, you know, here's Roman times, you know. And do like one prolonged 30 minute skit. Here's 30 minutes of Harriet Tubman. <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah. What whatever you want to do. Because it kind of seemed like it it works because some of the jokes are only good enough for it's a punchline and you move on. Mm. You know, the the Homo erectus joke is a punchline and you move on. The invention of music is, you know, a minute and a half and you move on. Even the Old Testament is one joke, you move on. Which is weird, because you would think that you could get more out of the Old Testament than I mean, if this was joke. just if this was just a parody of the greatest story ever told, it was just parody of the Bible. It would probably you could get a lot of you can get a lot of comedy out of that, but Oh boy, would the would the uh, heavy religious people be like, no, you can't do that? Even yeah. though the first half of this movie is the Old Testament and the Roman Empire is partially the New Testament because that's where Jesus comes in. Yeah, but only for like the one scene. Yeah. Interestingly, the the thing that Mel Brooks said that he got the most pushback on was the Spanish Inquisition scene. Because, you know, it, it is kind of making light of a genocide. Yeah. Um, but Monty, uh, Ronnie Graham and Jackie, Jackie Mason just steal the show on that one. Yeah. I and, mean, it would not be the first or last time that he would make light of a genocide. So, you or know. Or even a Jewish genocide. Well, I mean... You know, he's he's done several several movies about tragedies befalling uh, the Jews. I mean, yeah, this this was not the first time he he tackled that subject, nor the last. But it is his his way of of dealing with you know cultural and personal trauma. Um, and I'm I'm not going to say he can't do that, uh, but. He he did say that he he got some pushback from rabbis specifically uh, about that that scene. Yeah, I, I get it. And turning into a musical number, and you know, you know, send in the nuns. Yeah. Um, Synchronized swimming nuns. Who knew? Yeah. Interestingly, the pool they filmed that in was on a 
soundstage that used to be owned by Howard Hughes, I think. And that pool was built for, like, his personal use. I think that's the story. I may be wrong on that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's there's some, some weird Hollywood stories connected with this movie. I mean, we have a Hugh Hefner cameo. As, yeah. yeah. And because the we- all of the Vestal Virgins are played by Playboy bunnies. Yeah, I was going to mention that. So we get a, a Hugh Hefner cameo because of that as he invents the centerfold. Yeah, standing outside one of the better jokes in the Roman times, which was orgy, first served, first come. <laughs> which oh. Was... Uh, and oh, Madeline Kahn as Empress Ninfo. Yeah, the the entire the entire joke of Empress Info, I I got to admit, that's a running gag that that's really funny. But we haven't we haven't mentioned the best part of of Roman segment yet, which is the B Arthur cameo. B Arthur uncredited cameo as yeah. the unemployment uh, as the unemployment office clerk, like. Uh, what's your job, Gladiator? Did you kill today? No. Did you try to kill today? No. Well, you got to kill someone today, or we're going to change your status. Yeah. What's your job? And stand ca- up calling philosopher. the calling yeah. the stand stand up philosopher a bullshit artist. Yeah. It was a a good one. Oh yeah, I mean, B. Arthur steals that scene in there. He's he's amazing. The you know again you, you you get some of the more you know your jokes like you know plumbing, indoor plumbing is the latest craze. Pump the shit out of your house. Oh, uh, the um I I like I like the the soothsayer who tells the guy he's going to Rome and then he goes I'm in Rome. He's like well I didn't lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh the the blind beggar being Oedipus. Yeah, that that I have to admit is is maybe my favorite joke in the entire thing because it's a very literate joke. Um, and then he gives the high five to Josephus. Yeah, I, I gotta say that that one of the most interesting parts about being a literature teacher is seeing an entire classroom full of first year college students having their uh, minds expanded by learning the story of Oedipus and realizing just how freaky Greek literature <laughs> and He really are. loved his mother. He really, I mean, he is he his really mother's loved his mother. <laughs> yeah. The ones with a man named Oedipus Rex. Tom Lehrer, <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, when they realize that, like, that's in their required reading for college and that college doesn't pull any punches, that that's a fun day in class, let me tell you. Uh. <laughs> oh, another one that I had forgotten till I did this rewatch, and it's kind of become one of my now new favorite scenes because I had forgotten this scene even happened. 
is, you know, the uh, Josephus has gone off. He's run off. And uh, they're trying to find him. And they say, wait, wait, wait. You know, we have to be quiet. The Senate is in session. And we get to the Senate. And you have the one guy goes, should we build more palaces for ourselves? Or should we build affordable housing for the poor? And the entire Senate goes up and says, fuck the poor. Good. We're all in agreement. <laughs> nice to Which know that. Which is the most realistic <laughs> government scene ever rendered in a movie. <laughs> Politics hasn't changed in 2,000 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, watching as... Comicus tries to to figure out the audience for the joke and then realizes that like he he forgot like exactly where he was and that yeah, the, all of the his jokes... punchlines are at at at, at uh, Emperor Caesar Nero here Nero Caesar I should say yeah the thing is though is that it's it's a good it's a good scene because you know that all of these jokes had absolutely been landing for him everywhere else <laughs> everywhere else it's just he told him to the one guy who had the power to you know off with his head <laughs> yeah. like throw him to the lions <laughs> yeah and Dom DeLuise as Emperor Nero. Just amazing. Yeah. I mean, again, the the naming of Nero and Ninfo. But, uh, oh, I, I kind of want to talk more about Madeline Kahn, because it's Madeline Kahn and she's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean... Fred, her whole thing is just, it, it's it's one giant sex joke. But... She does it so well that you don't care. It's just the same joke over and over again. Like, she's looking for her escort to the orgy. So she has to measure the guardi- the, the guards' is, uh, well, I mean, it's already packed, I can say it, Me- measuring their, their, their penises to see if they're the adequate length to accompany her for activities in the orgy. And I love that she does it in song. Her little yes, 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 no, 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 yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And then the the last one. I mean, you know, he's trying really hard to get on this, to get in on this orgy. No, wait a minute. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like her high note at the end, which you know, Madeline Kahn is so good at. Um, if, you know, her, 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 her flirting with Josephus. Say when eight thirty. Yeah. And it took Josephus a minute to go like. Huh. <laughs> yeah. I could use another wine suet. I got a great corkscrew. Ooh, hip crowd. <laughs> yeah. Thing about it is that that was supposed to be Richard uh Rich Pryor as Josephus. <clears throat> that tends to happen a lot with Mel Brooks films. Like the black character always ends up being this was supposed to be Richard Pryor. Well, the reason that Richard Pryor wasn't in this film particularly was this was when he set himself on fire. Oh! That was this point in his life. And, yeah. So, uh, they they were gonna cut the character entirely. Um, 
and then somebody uh, was like, how about Gregory Hines instead? <laughs> you need somebody who can like uh, do, 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 you know, do, do be entertaining and dance a little, <laughs> you know, if this movie <laughs> tell had some been, jokes and yeah. If this movie had been made five years later, it would have been Eddie Murphy. I mean, possibly. And, you know, that that would have been a slightly different... <laughs> a slightly different interpretation, but yeah. going by popular black comedians... Yeah. I guarantee it probably would have been Eddie Murphy. But Gregory Hines does an amazing job as Josephus. You know, he's like his whole thing is like, lions only eat Christians! I'm a Jew! <laughs> and doing the Hava Nagila dance, and like, I'm a Jew! You know, talk to the rabbi, talk to Samus Davis Jr. He'll vouch for me. Yeah. That that is a joke that unless you were in that time, you will not get. <laughs> the, I, I I just love the that Mel Perks just decides like and then they and then my character falls in love with a Vestal Virgin. <laughs> I mean, in this movie, Mel Brooks's character falls in love with two virgins. Because there's the one Vestal Virgin, and then there's the one uh, Virgin in the French, French Revolution. Well, yeah, but there's a there's a difference between being, like, just an unmarried woman who has, you know, who is still a virgin... And being a Vestal Virgin in the time of Rome. Like, she is a priestess to a guy. You know, it's like, yeah. she's basically like a nun under holy orders. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> slightly different, you know, but, bit. You know, yeah. the, the other one was just a noble woman waiting for marriage who hadn't been sleeping around. You know, it's like, yeah. I mean, do you do you want to do you want to do you want to get into the French Revolution? Because yeah, I can go to the French Revolution stuff. Yeah, Les Miserables by Mel Brooks. I mean, not 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 even because Les Miserables isn't even about that French Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh this is more Mel Mel Brooks's uh version of Man in the Iron Mask, honestly. My lord, you look like the piss boy and you look like a bucket of shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh crap, I do look like the piss boy. <laughs> yeah. But um we get we get our uh Cloris Leachman here with one of my favorite lines. <laughs> Of we're so poor we don't even have a language we just have a lousy accent. Yeah, <laughs> but she's I love that she's actually playing a a Dickens character here. That's uh dropped into this Mel Brooks movie because she's actually um out of A Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> this uh, Madame Defarge character that she's playing who in in tale of two cities uh, if i'm remembering correctly is the character that knits the names 
into cloth. That's how they. I, I forget exactly why why she was knitting the names. Either they're traitors or maybe they're the the names of the revolutionaries or something. I, I don't know, yeah. but um, yeah. And I do She's, love, you know, like, again, it's another one of those modern young people are not going to get the joke of her knitting. And then you hear the typewriter ding noise and she just knocks her chin back. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what typewriters used to sound like, kids, before computers. <laughs> but, uh, you know, beggars, begging from beggars, what have we come to? Nothing. I've got nothing for sale. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, we it's a it's a Mel Brooks movie, so we got Harvey Corman as Count the Money Demonet Demonet. You know, as an aside, I went to Versailles. Like they didn't they didn't film in France. They they actually filmed in England. Hmm. So like this this castle they're standing out in front of was is actually some. English, you know, manor house or whatever. But I I went to Versailles that sparked the actual French Revolution. And it it was, you know, what Louis was building while they were all starving and whatever. And I got to tell you, if you want to if you want to, like, radicalize a person take them to Versailles and just be like, this is what he was building while everybody was eating bread made out of sawdust. Cause that'll do it. Like I was, I was that, I was that kind of kid who was like, yeah, like everybody should have their own business and we should all like just make all the money we want in the world and like all that kind of stuff. And I went to Versailles and I came out going like anybody know what the plans are for a slicey boy cuz that sounds really good right now. <laughs> the French had some good idea. <laughs> like you go in there and you just see that everything is just like really ugly and coated in like just the ugliest gold leaf and like marble and stuff and you're like this is what he was doing while his country starved like it's not even pretty it's just garish and horrible and pointless. I mean but enough about billionaires <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so it's like you can kind of see where the French peasants were coming from when you go to that place uh but the uh you know here it's a it's a lot funnier um i mean meanwhile we have king louis played by mel brooks again playing chess with people and he decides to have a, a gang bang with the queen yeah pawn to queen four and knights to queen four and everybody to the queen just to, yeah everybody to the queen and him and his little his little people servants and he's telling them to whip their whip their dicks out and you know everyone but um i don't think all of them got a hole just saying i i don't think he cared yeah he was, no he i was mean banging he, somebody. He's, 
he's he's show he's showing he's he's showing that uh, he was rather lecherous, and then we see the um the woman you talked about earlier uh come in and say that she wants her father uh released from prison and could he please help and he was like well you know if if you let me sleep with you i'll release your father from prison and she's like no i'm still a virgin please do not do that that's awful and uh then count de monet has his idea about oh you look like that servant guy carrying the piss bucket and maybe we should dress him up as you and you can escape as a servant and when the revolution comes they will kill the servant instead and you know yeah i I just like the the servant's whole thing is they oh i get it oh i get it oh no (laughs) (laughs) Uh uh-oh yeah but he turns out to be really nice because of course he's the servant guy and you know he has a heart of gold and uh so he he helps the girl and he doesn't take advantage of her and they pardon the the father but unfortunately the peasants yeah yeah, the the peasants break down the door and they're like oh it's the king and two nobles and let's take them all to the guillotine and i'm not the uh, king i'm not the king i'm one of you i'm one of and they don't even want to hear it yeah but uh my my favorite bit is when is when he uh he requests Novocaine and they're like, Yeah, we, we don't know what that is. He's like, No, 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 I'll wait. And yeah, it leads to the the running gag of another one of the movies running gag going all the way to the to the Roman Empire scene, which was Miracle the Horse. Like Miracle the Horse used to be the fastest runner. In the chariot races before I was retired, now it's just a cart horse. But uh, you know, only a miracle can save us now, and that seems to be the key word. And here comes Miracle the horse to save the day, along with you know our our old friend here, uh, Gregory Hines, Josephus. Yeah, yeah he, he he's <laughs> here. Question. He's here too. They've been questioning. Wait a minute. How'd you get here from the Roman Empire? That it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, movies are magic. Come on. Um, oh, I, I want to go back because I want to go back to that scene because because it's like one of my favorite. It's another one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Is going back to the Roman Empire, where they where Josephus asked them to stop the cart so he can make mighty joint. Because he gets some drug humor in this movie. Yeah, that that is that is the weird thing is that there's just like as they're as they're escaping from Rome, Josephus has them stop, and you feel like that was a joke originally written for Richard Pryor, and it yeah. just never got changed. The nose knows. Yeah, and and he stops, and all all the other people in the cart are confused because they're like why is he smelling flowers by the side of the road and it's just like a whole field of weed and he's like oh yeah that roman red and they're like what are you talking about he's like rolling papyrus i need rolling papyrus (laughs) and he just rolls up like a huge joint 
and sticks it out of the back of the cart and blows the smoke behind them and it mellows out all of the centurions that are chasing them. We gotta and, be cool, man. You gotta let the coolness get into your vertebrae. Yeah, and they they just like chill out by the side of the road and they get away and like everybody's happy. Oh, and I'm, I love that character. Like the character that does that is named Mucus, and they named him that for one joke: "Run with Mucus." <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of people in in the movie are are named, you know, just for one joke. Yeah, you know, as we mentioned, John Hurt, because we end up with Comicus being a waiter at the Last Supper. And oh whole, yeah, yeah. After they whole, escape from from Rome, they're they're they end up uh, at the Last Supper, which is a really weird cut. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not historically accurate for comedic purposes. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's it's. Well, yeah, it's 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 interesting because they're they're like you know okay you know we we're we've escaped from Rome and then now we're we're in Judea and we need to get on a ship or whatever and then Comicus just wanders into a room and there's uh, Jesus and the apostles but. Um, I mean, I, I like how they go through the whole thing. One of you will betray me today, and Comic Con goes, "Judas." <laughs> it's like, what? What? Have, no, what? what? No. No. What would you have? What are you having today? Is everybody ordering together separate checks? Get out of here! This could be our last supper. <laughs> and just you know, the Mel Brooks inserting himself into the Last Supper picture. It's just, Mwah. <laughs> yeah, holding the plate. To make the halo, yeah. Um, <laughs> With random Leonardo, again, not historically accurate for the sake of comedy. Yeah. The thing that I like most, though, is the the coming attractions trailer setting up History of the Horror Part 2, which... Oh, of course, we all thought we would never get. Yeah. Like, see Hitler on ice. See a Viking funeral. See Jews in space. Mel Brooks and, I, in, and Mel Brooks inventing the Jewish space laser. <laughs> yeah. the The funniest thing is, though, is that this entire movie was worth it just for the Jews in space number. I mean, they and this kind of would end up becoming the basis of uh, Spaceballs. Tell me, Spaceballs yeah, would just use space the movie. <laughs> yeah, and it would also be reused as the Men in Tights song. Yeah, because it's the it's the same tune. Mm. It is one of the funniest things, and. When I when I was a kid, there was one of one of my friends who was Jewish. That was his like favorite song. Hmm. Um, it was he was in choir with with us, <laughs> and um, would uh 
bust out singing it occasionally, and a bunch of us would like join in <laughs> as backup singers. Um, but yeah, um, that was like one of our one of our favorite bits. Um, I mean, but it was always use- our our favorite bit from this movie specifically. They, I mean, they they even use the same sound effects from Star Wars. Granted, this is still 20th Century Fox. Well, yeah. making the Star Wars movie, so yeah, they would have access to those sound effects. So, like, yeah. I, I, I'm wondering if this miniseries is going to have those three things. Well, we know it's going to have Jews in space because it's already been in the commercials. Mm. There's already a bit that you can kind of see is Jews in space. Um, so I, I don't know exactly how much of it we're going to get to see, like if it's just going to be like a reworking of the song or if it's going to be a longer bit, but um, there's already been some images in the, the thing that, that if that's not Jews in space, I will be absolutely shocked. But I, I don't remember seeing images yet that looked like, Viking funeral, and I definitely don't remember seeing anything that looked like Hitler on ice. So, yeah, but you know, if if, if it's just dudes in space, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, that's really the only one I really wanted to see. <laughs> uh, I kind of want to go back and talk more about Josephus because he's like one of my favorite characters in this movie because it's it's Gregory Hines and he's just amazing. Like you yeah, know, his, I've, his... I I I do. I do uh, like uh, Gregory Hines's. You know, I've I've liked his his career. You know, uh, just in general, but I really liked him in this movie. Yeah, I mean, from the from the whole from the you know from the slave auction to him being the the wine guy and him posing as a eunuch and then bringing out the dancing girl. You know, like he just he he tries to hold back, and he's just the jig is up and gone. (laughs) Yeah, that that scene with the dancing girl and her going in front of each of the eunuchs, and they're them going like, "That's a eunuch." (laughs) Oh yeah, he's definitely a eunuch. That guy's dead. dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that, that guy's absolutely dead. But I like I like his his dance scene at the beginning yeah the ethiopian flim flam (laughs) yeah the 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 shim sham or whatever he calls it where it's like you you know you absolutely know that he's making making that up like it's it's really hard to go through this movie like this because you know again it's not a traditional movie like we're used to talking about it's just a bunch of comedy sketches but the comedy sketches work and a lot of it's still funny the comedy's still there like it's not a are are some of the jokes dated yeah did some of the jokes not age well of course but as a whole the making fun of history and just it it still works it's still funny it's still a classic yeah and and of course one of the reasons it works is because this cast is a who's who of comedy greats. 
I mean, not only do you have just kind of the normal people who work with Mel Brooks, because you got, you know, Madeline Kahn and Cloris Leachman, like we talked about, and you got Don DeLuise and Harvey Corman, and, you know, you got the normal people and, and stuff that you would you would expect in the Mel Brooks movies and stuff. But then you got like comedy, absolute royalty, you know, you got, we, I mean, we've, we talked about like Carl Reiner's voice that makes it in there and stuff, but you got like Sid Caesar in there playing the caveman. Yeah. At the beginning. And you got Shecky green through most of this and stuff. And like, I know like anybody of, a certain age are is going to be like what now but like these are the like comedy legends from a certain time you know these are comedy gods and Jackie Mason Jackie is Mason legend. in in that Spanish Inquisition scene and you know Henny Youngman is in there and Charlie Callis is in there yeah. as the soothsayer in that. That's such an amazing scene. And I mean, it just like every time somebody new walks on screen, it's just absolute comedy royalty. And they're all in the same movie. And it's it's just absolutely unbelievable. You know, the interesting thing is, is that I'm not going to say that this is like Mel Brooks greatest movie or anything, but the weird thing is, is that like, we've already said that when it came out, like it came out against two of the biggest movies of the year. Cause both, I mean, first of all, it came out against Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it's already sunk. Um, and then it came out against uh, Clash of the Titans, which is cult classic, you know. Um, but the thing is, is that a lot of people just really didn't like it when it came out. They were like, oh, well, M Mel Brooks kind of put out a stinker, didn't he? You know, which I... I don't really get because I've always found it kind of a funny movie, you know? Like, it's not Mel Brooks' best when you look at all of Mel Brooks' body of work put together. But as a film, I've always found it entertaining. Um, but critics were really harsh to it at the time. And it even got put up for kind of the 80s version of the Razzies. Hmm. Like, there was this, like, bad movie award thing that was going around at the time, and it got put up for that. It lost. <laughs> and it lost to some Tarzan movie that was out at the time that had um, Miles O'Keefe and John Philip Law, who both of them will be known to you if you are a Mystery Science Theater 3000 fan. <laughs> because Miles O'Keefe starred in Cave Dwellers, 
and John Philip Law is the uh, bad guy in uh, Space Mutiny. Mm. And um, it also starred Bo Derek and was directed by John Derek. So that's the movie that was the worst movie of the year, according to the these the bad movie awards. Um, and then they also thought that History of the World deserved to just be in the running alongside that. I don't know. I've never seen that particular movie. Um, but it stars Bo Derek and two Mystery Science Theater legends. So I don't know. That movie sounds kind of awesome to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds like a seal of approval to me. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I... I kind of look back on what critics said about it at the time and I'm I'm slightly baffled as to why they were so harsh. And I think it's just because they might not have gotten the format. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of other Mel Brooks movies, there's a full story beginning to end and this was more segmented. And I think you're right. If this was more of a television series or miniseries rather than a film, it probably would have gotten a better reception back then. Now it's seen as an all-time comedy classic. The I mean, once again, I don't think that there are very many people that will call this the best Mel Brooks movie. No, no, no. But it's not terrible. It's not. I mean, it's it's still funny. I can think of Mel Brooks movies that I like less than this. Yeah, so can I. Uh, you know, so. But you know, I'm I'm still I'm still kind of middle of the road, I guess you could say in terms of Mel, if you if you want to just judge Mel Brooks's only Mel Brooks's comedy catalog, I would put yeah. this right in the middle, which yeah, is not it's, bad. It's a solid entry, but you know, it's it's. Not in my top five, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we need to ask the question, but we're going to ask it anyway. Kiki, does History of the World Part 1 have the magic? Yeah, like we said, some problematic elements, and it's not making anybody's top five, I don't think. But, eh, yeah. I mean, it it's still entertaining. I would have to agree. Again, I, I still found the movie funny. There were scenes that I had forgotten about in this movie that I, that I rediscovered and found them hilarious. Is it my favorite Mel Brooks movie of all time? No. Is it ter- is it terrible? No, it's fine. It's good. I, I, I enjoyed going back to this movie, and I hope that the upcoming miniseries, again, as it's airing, as we're taught, as this episode is being released is at least decent. I don't expect it to ever be as good, but I expect it to be decent. That's all I can hope for. Yeah, I'm just hoping for a few chuckles. That's it. And if we can do that, job well done. There's not much we can expect over a sequel of a movie that's 40 years old. I just want to see Jews in Space. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Give me that and I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah, if that segment hits, the whole thing is a success. I don't really need to see anything else. 
All right. So let's move on to next week. Next week is a special episode as we are tackling a subject that we have not touched in a very long time. A long time ago, the first, the first year of our podcast, we did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I think it's time we go back and watch the shorts that came out after this movie. Yes, there were uh, three Roger Rabbit shorts that were produced by Disney to keep the character in the public consciousness. And we're going to go through those three Roger Rabbit shorts next week. Tummy Trouble, Roller Coaster Rabbit, and Trail Mix-Up. And it's going to be fine to go back and see see what these three shorts were, what, what they were about, and uh, was, there the sta- was there staying power for more? We'll see. So come back next week for the Roger Rabbit shorts, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, Go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues.